This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Good afternoon, everybody. Hope you're all enjoying the weekend. Hard to believe it's the last week in July. And time moves fast. And, and just to put some things into perspective, automatic vote-by-mail ballots will be mailed in the next 56 days. People will be voting soon in New Jersey, and, and that's the real end of the summer. And, and that's the new reality for New Jersey politics. In, in just 101 days, New Jersey will know who will serve as governor for the next four years. Will it be Phil Murphy or, or will it be Jack Cittarelli? I'll be joined today by a special guest who knows a lot about New Jersey gubernatorial elections. Jim McGreevy, the former governor of New Jersey, will join me at 420. We're going to talk about prisoner reentry program that he runs to help give people a second chance and about politics in New Jersey. Governor McGreevy is one of the most fascinating New Jerseyans in a generation, and you're going to want to hear everything that he says. And when you when you run for governor, and this is sort of a, a time-honored tradition, although there's some exceptions, the, the plan is usually you get through the primary, and then you, you run to the center to win in general election. And, and for a Republican, and, and some of my Republican friends won't like hearing this, New Jersey's not an easy state to win in general election. Uh, Jersey's one of the bluest states in the nation. It hasn't voted for a... Republican presidential candidates since 1988, and Democrats have won the last 17 races for U.S. Senator. I mean, I mean, get this. Republicans haven't elected a U.S. Senator from New Jersey since 1972. That's 49 years ago, and since then, every state but Hawaii has done that. And Jersey's got a million more Democrats than Republicans going into this election, and, and, and for the first time, in history, New Jersey has more Democrats than independents or unaffiliated voters, so it's a hard state for Republicans to win. Still, frequently, Jersey likes their governors to be Republicans. Over the last 40 years, New Jersey's had a Republican governor for 24 of them. And for for people who listen to this show regularly, and, and if you're one of them, thank you, uh, you know that I say this over and over, that Democrats haven't reelected a governor since 1977. That's 44 years ago. And Republicans have elected and reelected a governor three times since then. Uh, that's why I don't easily dismiss the chances of, of a Republican candidate for governor. Uh, this is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. I'm talking about gubernatorial elections on the New Jersey Globe Power Hour right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC. There haven't been a lot of polls, but the ones I've seen show Governor Phil Murphy with a double-digit lead over Jack Cittarelli. So for Cittarelli to win, he's got to get something called votes. And if he doesn't get votes from people who voted for Joe Biden or voted for Phil Murphy four years ago, well, he's not going to win this election. His his path, I think, is a narrow one. And on election night, there'll be pockets of places where, where all of us can probably stand inside a polling place at some elementary school and, and pretty much know shortly after 8 p.m. who wins. Uh, I'm going to be looking at, at Democratic-leaning districts in places like Rutherford and Sayreville and Manville and in towns like Marlboro and Evesham and, and Washington Township, the one in Gloucester County. And I'm going to focus on Nutley and maybe Edison. And if towns like these, suburbs that are filled with working families, uh, maybe as Governor likes to, Governor Murphy likes to say, uh, uh, middle class on a good day, if Jack Chitterelli can't win these 
blue-collar, competitive swing towns, Phil Murphy's probably going to get a second term. So among political insiders, there was a little news this week when Chitterelli got caught on tape telling a group of his supporters at a at a gun range in central Jersey that he acknowledged the strategy that we all know uh, he's going for. Uh, Politico got a hold of the tape, and, and you're not going to believe what he said, so, so listen to what he said. I'm never going to disrespect the base, but you guys got to give me a little wiggle room. Give me a little wiggle room to spend time going places Republicans simply don't go, and give me a little wiggle room on how to talk about issues, because the goal is to win. And so there's there's really nothing shocking about a request for a little wiggle room. Uh, Chitterelli's telegraphing to his base that they need to look the other way as he appeals to moderates, as he appeals to uh, to to voters that are in the center in New Jersey, and he and he knows that he can't win without them. I mean, we're we're living in different times than the ones that existed when when Tom Kane and Christy Whitman and Chris Christie were elected. They're, they're folks in the Republican Party who would they'd rather lose than compromise. And this is an extraordinarily narrow needle for Chitterelli to, to thread successfully. Uh, one thing that ought not be forgotten in this race, some people are standing on the sidelines analyzing the, analyzing the race for governor. Uh, they haven't been on the inside running a campaign, so they don't, they don't necessarily have a firm knowledge of the electorate. I'm I'm, I'm not necessarily certain that, that they know that some of the moves by these candidates might be deliberate and calculated to appeal to swing voters. So so respectfully, though, I will, will give some free advice to Jack Chitterelli. Uh, know that everyone in a room that you're speaking is is not necessarily your friend. Uh, understand that as a candidate for governor, someone might be recording you. The trackers, they are everywhere. And they're, they're not always the ones who stand out in the back of the room with a with a Murphy campaign button and a recorder. Sometimes they're, they're well hidden in an audience. Uh, remember, I'll be joined in a little while by former New Jersey Governor Jim McGreevy. There are a few people who know more about Jersey politics than he does. So, so you're not going to want to miss what he has to say. This is David Wildstein. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. So how many of you remember Tim Guadano? And, and if you don't, that's okay. N- names come and go in Jersey politics, and, and relatively speaking, she wasn't around all that long. Kim Guadano was the lieutenant governor of New Jersey for eight years when Chris Christie was governor. And when Christie was term limited four years ago, Guadano ran for governor. She beat Jack Cittarelli in the primary, but then she lost the election to Phil Murphy by over 300,000 votes. I think it was 14 percentage points. And this week, Guadano left the Republican Party. She's, she's not a Democrat, but according to documents she filled out on Monday, she's no longer a Republican. Uh, Kim Guadano ran with Chris Christie twice. And, and make no mistake, they couldn't stand each other. And the, the pettiness that existed between them, I, I watched it up close for a few years. The vindictiveness was sometimes a little bit ridiculous. Guadano was, was no Donald Trump fan. She She said in 2016 that she wouldn't vote for him. She spoke out publicly last November in calling for Trump to concede the presidential race. And and, and Biden, Biden, by the way, I mean, he was no Guadano fan either. And when she ran last time, he he criticized her TV ads for being gutter politics. But Guadano didn't leave the Republican Party because of Chris Christie or Donald Trump. She left because she's angry with her home county Republicans for 
refusing to support one of her friends for re-election to the state assembly. And, and, and Guadagno struggled for relevance and economic opportunities since she left office three and a half years ago. She, she recently uh, lost her, her full-time job running a local food bank. Part of it, I think, is because she was fighting with, with powerful Republicans in Monmouth County. You know, so I, 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 w- I, wish, I wish her the best. I hope Kim finds a job. I'd, I'd have a little bit more respect for her if she explained her decision and maybe speak about the principles that, that caused her to make that rather than the fact that she was just fighting with some local Republicans over a state assembly seat. This is David Wildstein. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Every once in a while... I read a story in a New Jersey newspaper about the salaries of government employees. And, and the top story on the Star Ledger website right now, it's a, it's a subscriber exclusive, which means if you don't pay them, you can't see it. The top story is a list of the 25 superintendents of schools who, who get paid the most. And you know, Now, this, this isn't a tough lift to produce a story like this. You, you come through a bunch of websites, you find some photos, you make a spreadsheet, you run the list, it's... It's a bit sensationalized, and that's why they call it clickbait. Uh, the, the newspapers think that people will be somehow outraged to learn that government pays someone $280,000 a year to run a public school system. And, and, I, and I look at some of these superintendents. You know, Roger Leone manages 63 schools and 42,000 students and 2,800 public school teachers in Newark. It, it's a big job. It's not a job that anyone can do, uh, at least not a lot of people who can do it well. So I'm going to say something that, that might not be terribly popular, but it's the truth. If, if you want good people, you need to pay competitive salaries. It's government, too. And too often, I mean, not always, but, but more frequently than it should be, government agencies are run by less than capable people who couldn't survive in the private sector. And I mean, actually, I guess I, I should just be blunt and honest. Sometimes government agencies are run by incompetents who, who are just hired because better people won't take the jobs for the money they're being offered. So it's it, all too often you get what you pay for. And I think there has to be a public debate on whether taxpayers are better served, maybe, with a competent person who makes more money and runs that government more efficiently. And, and you know, I don't want both. I don't want an overpaid, incompetent loser, and that happens. But, but there's got to be a balance. And, and politicians, I mean, they often get frightened away from higher salaries for people holding important government jobs because you have overly dramatic reporters trying to somehow make it look like competitive salaries, paying people maybe what they're worth, are somehow some sort of a scandal. Uh, in the Globe, we're not going to do that. We're not going to run these clickbait stories. But, but I hope there's a discussion at some point about uh, what the role is of, 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 how, of salaries and, and whether – uh, whether the media is pushing and, 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 and sort, of, sort of shaming politicians into not paying people uh, what they should pay to get the best possible people in government. Anyway, I will, I'll be right back with former New Jersey Governor Jim McGreevy, so please don't go anywhere. You're not going to miss a word of what he has to say. This is David Wildstein. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. The pandemic of 2020 felt like a dark tunnel. And while 2020 is over, the impact is not. I'm New Jersey's former governor, Richard Cody. The pandemic affected our physical and mental health. My wife, Mary Jo, and I started the Cody Fund for Mental Health to Change Lives. 
Mental health issues can impact any family, including ours. That's why we want everyone to know about NJ211. NJ211 is an information and referral service connecting anyone in crisis to the help they need. It's for everyone, veterans, seniors, even children. I'm living proof there's light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not a train, it's help. It's NJ211. Remember, it's okay not to feel okay. If you need help, go to nj211.org or dial 211. When it comes to autism, finding the right words can be tough. Finding community in these challenging times doesn't have to be. Join us, even virtually, to move together towards a kinder world for the millions of people on the autism spectrum. Find out how at autismspeaks.org slash together. Classic, punk, indie, 80s, 90s, whatever. If it's got passion and a backbeat, I want to hear it. And I want to know more about the artists who create it. That's why I read Rock and Roll Globe. Rockandrollglobe.com features the sharpest takes about what's good and what's um, not so good in music. They call it real writing about real music. It's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just crisp, surprising insight into music of all kinds, interviews with performers, concise reviews of hot new records, a look back at that great album that changed everything. It's all on rockandrollglobe.com. Check out Rock and Roll Globe. That's rockandrollglobe.com. I could hardly The pandemic of 2020 felt like a dark tunnel. And while 2020 is over, the impact is not. I'm New Jersey's former governor, Richard Cody. The pandemic affected our physical and mental health. My wife, Mary Jo, and I started the Cody Fund for Mental Health to Change Lives. Mental health issues can impact any family, including ours. That's why we want everyone to know about NJ211. NJ211 is an information and referral service connecting anyone in crisis to the help they need. It's for everyone, veterans, seniors, even children. I'm living proof there's light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not a train, it's help. It's NJ211. Remember, it's okay not to feel okay. If you need help, go to nj211.org or dial 211. The New Jersey Globe Power Hour is on. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back. It's David Wildson. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. Jim McGreevy was the 51st governor of New Jersey. He won his election in 2001 by 300,000 votes, and now he runs the New Jersey Reentry Corporation. Governor, how are you? To be with you. I, I, I just was thinking that in the story leading up to the introduction, talking about Hacks running New Jersey state government and their ineptitude, no matter what they're paid, so that 
I just wanted to thank you for that very indulgent running up. So, well, thank you, thank you, and, and Governor, I, I, you, you've generously agreed to stay on with me for two segments. So we'll we'll talk about politics in the second segment. But sure. I I want to ask you about your work on former prisoners reentering their their communities, and and you you you've devoted most of the last decade to this. Uh, uh, to breaking down barriers for ex-offenders returning from prison to obtain employment. Tell me about your work at the New Jersey Reentry Corporation. No, thanks, David. It, it's just that, you know, when we recognize that this country has this sad love affair with imprisonment, and, and you know, you reflect on Michelle Alexander, the new Jim Crow, that that the, the nation is 5% of the world's population, but 25% of the world's incarcerated population, is that, you know, that Americans aren't inherently more malevolent, uh, but that we incarcerate a higher percentage of our fellow citizens than any nation. And so that what we've been able to do over the years with the bipartisan support is move people as they're coming out of state prison and county jail and addiction treatment centers to making sure that they have first uh, the behavioral health care needs that they require, whether that's particularly on addiction, uh, whether that's suboxone and, and medication-assisted treatment, uh, mental health, uh, medical, whether it's hepatitis, diabetes, HIV, uh, support for housing, legal support. So many of our guys and gals are meshed in the legal system in terms of outstanding warrants and fines that could precipitate a rearrest and re-imprisonment. Um, and then also, obviously, the importance of workforce training and employment. So the old, the old method, David, was that you would, somebody would come out to prison and then you would get them a, a job, get them employment, and God willing, they'd survive for, you know, six months, let alone six years. But the reality was, is whether it was addiction or whether it was housing or uh, not having a driver's license. And, and people need to understand that something as mundane as a driver's license, having that identification uh, is, is a barrier to whether it's uh, food stamp, SNAP or GA or even Medicaid. So what we try to do is to remove those barriers and to stabilize the person, uh, both medically in terms of behaviorally, in terms of housing, and then gradually move persons into employment when they're stabilized. And, and, and we have now 11,000 clients, 11,000 program participants in nine different sites throughout central and northern New Jersey. And, uh, you know, I'm proud to say that we've got a relatively good track record. So your program, Governor, is it's been described as a national model. It, it, is New Jersey now meeting its challenges of, of rehabilitation, job training, addiction treatment? Is is you had described reentry in the past as broken? Is it is it still broken? I mean, it, I think I think both from earlier administrations through the Murphy administration. I mean, we've made great strides. We're making great investment. I mean, we just opened up a twenty-five thousand square foot training facility, whether it's um, HVAC, whether it's uh, Cisco certification for networking training, uh, solar installation. So we're, we're doing the right thing in terms of job creation. What we need to do more of, David, is behind the wall. And that's 
incumbent upon all of us. And so uh, do I think we're doing the right thing? Yes. Uh, doing the public health emergency, the uh, state Senate president, the assembly speaker and the governor, 3000 persons were came out. Uh, people worked together to make sure they had housing, make sure they have health care, make sure that they had what they required in terms of food stamps and then transition to employment. People expected that there would be uh, a much more negative reaction than there was. I think there were boots on the ground. But can we do more behind the wall? Yes. And so the, the, the challenge is when Jim McGreevy is in Northern State Prison, I should be getting my food stamps. I should be getting my SNAP application approved, my Medicaid, my GA, so that when I come out, I'm better prepared so that I can be stabilized and so that we can, instead of grappling with getting my ID, I would have had my ID already in hand. And I'm speaking with Jim McGreevy, the former governor of New Jersey. Governor, every day I hear about how hard it's been for employers to find workers during the pandemic. I mean, some some complain there's a, a financial incentive for, for people to not return to the workforce. Should should employers uh, in search of a bigger workforce look more actively toward ex-offenders? Thanks, David, because our, you know, our, our participants don't aren't in that position in the sense that many of them are, are coming out of state prison. They're coming out of county jail. So the, they haven't um, been the quote unquote beneficiaries of the largesse of the federal government. So, yes, they are hungry. I mean, we've just had repeated job fairs where, you know, literally hundreds of people are, are looking for jobs. But it means taking a risk. It means taking a, a chance on somebody with a criminal jacket, with a criminal history. I mean, a lot of our guys and gals are people that have had a, a history of uh, drug abuse. Seventy-five uh, percent of them have had some interaction with alcoholism and addiction. Many people are coming out of prison. Many people, uh, their criminal acts were precipitated or in part caused by their addictive behaviors. So I, I think it's 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 convincing, and and we've got great relationships. I mean, UPS, Federal Express, uh, Shoprite, Aero Farms. We have seventy four companies that have made that leap that are hiring people, and obviously they ask us, David, to to be to do to be the barometer, uh, to be the gatekeeper to make sure that somebody has made that commitment is somebody, you know, doing the next right thing and has a history of doing the right thing. So if, if somebody made a series of bad decisions when they were 18, 20, 22 years of age, and now they're 43 and they, 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 they're, they're passionate about changing their lives, they're passionate about not going back and going in a different direction. Those are the guys and gals that we recommend. I mean, we just had 62 people hired by UPS and as, as drivers, and they're responsible for packages. They're responsible for, you know, the ethical delivery. And, and ShopRite, um, our guys are, you know, stocking shelves. So these are people that, you know, we vet. We, you know, we, I would make an argument, David, we vet our guys and gals more carefully than somebody walking off the street. Um, you know, we're aware of their criminogenic history. We're aware of their, their medical and their behavioral history. We're aware of their work history. 
And so what we're sending to uh, ShopRite or we're sending to um, a store is somebody who's looking for second chance. And, and if I can, you know, the challenge has been on some of the big box national retailers. I mean, we do so well with New Jersey-based businesses, with a few national-based businesses. Um, the challenge becomes on the big box retailers uh, whose HR offices might be in Chicago or Iowa, that they have a, a clear policy on on court-involved persons. That's where the challenge, that's where the, the challenge for us becomes because we can't get past that HR policy. But if you give us a chance, we'll send you one client, we'll send you two and three, and develop a trusting relationship that we can build upon. And I'll, I'll direct everybody to, to your website, New Jersey reentry.org and, and hope the people sure. go through. And we just ask you. And, and by the way, if I can just give a shout out to Michelle Sikirka and New Jersey Business and Industry Association. I mean, it, it's been a different day. Like Michelle has me participating on task force. I remember the days when uh, NJBIA used to think I was a Bolshevik. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I guess there's room for all of us to grow. But I mean, like we've got a great partnership. Um, sure. Let's say, for example, on Sansone Auto. Right now, we work with um, ECHA and NJRC. We will have every veteran, uh, formerly court-involved veteran, employed through Sansone Auto and NJ Cars, That's great. the car dealerships. That's great. So, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff happening industry by industry. And, Governor, we only have – I mean, I, I, we, we, I, this time goes by so fast as it often does when you, when you and I speak. But uh, we're going to go to a break in a second. But I want to ask you one quick question. I, I have a friend from Middletown, a remarkable woman named Nikki Tierney, and and she oh. is advocating for legislation for expungements for women who have uh, who have graduated from drug court and are seeking reentry. Should is that is that uh, something that that the legislature should approve and the governor should sign? I, I, and I want to just give a shout out to Nikki for her advocacy and for doing the next right thing and for all that she does. And and it's just, you know, we believe and we say it all the time. We believe in a God of second chances. And so that expungements are so critically important. Um, and New Jersey has made a step in the right direction in expungements. But obviously, if you want to have that, that second chance, that clean slate, expungements are an opportunity. So, yes, I mean, uh, what Nikki's advocating is, is so critically important. And I could go on depth on her story and on on the the challenge the unique challenges that women have faced and do face in in criminal justice okay. well governor mcgreevy and i'll be right back to talk about new jersey politics so please stay where you are you're not going to want to miss this this is david wildstein the editor of the new jersey globe you're listening to the new jersey globe power hour on talk radio 77 wabc When it comes to autism, finding the right words can be tough. Finding community in these challenging times doesn't have to be. Join us, even virtually, to move together towards a kinder world for the millions of people on the autism spectrum. Find out how at autismspeaks.org slash together. I always value books and films and good TV. 
But now, during a pandemic, I appreciate them, I need them, more than ever. That's why I read Book and Film Globe. Bookandfilmglobe.com is the smartest, sharpest commentary about what's good and what's um, not good in the worlds of books, movies, and quality TV. This isn't celebrity gossip, and it's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just smart, clear writing about the best new things to watch and read. Interviews with directors, concise reviews of hot new books, actors describing classic scenes. It's all on bookandfilmglobe.com. And there are three Rotten Tomatoes certified reviewers, so you know you're getting good advice. Check out Book and Film Globe. That's bookandfilmglobe.com. The pandemic of 2020 felt like a dark tunnel. And while 2020 is over, the impact is not. I'm New Jersey's former governor, Richard Cody. The pandemic affected our physical and mental health. My wife, Mary Jo, and I started the Cody Fund for Mental Health to Change Lives. Mental health issues can impact any family, including ours. That's why we want everyone to know about NJ211. NJ211 is an information and referral service connecting anyone in crisis to the help they need. It's for everyone, veterans, seniors, even children. I'm living proof there's light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not a train, it's help. It's NJ211. Remember, it's okay not to feel okay. If you need help, go to nj211.org or dial 211. The New Jersey Globe Power Hour is on. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back. It's David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and I'm with Jim McGreevy, the 51st governor of New Jersey. And Governor, Democrats and Republicans believe that among your accomplishments in office was to make the, the Department of Motor Vehicles run more efficiently. So, so I have to ask you, on behalf of, of New Jerseyans everywhere, would you, would you please go back and fix it again? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I just I, I want to give credit to where credit is due, and that's to um – the great, God rest his soul, Jamie Foxx and Diane Legridi. Um, Jamie was incredible. And for those of us who knew and loved him, uh, Jamie was a a force to be reckoned with, and he wanted to make New Jersey government better, and he was driven by practical considerations. But a a, a very unique, talented. I'll I'll never forget that. I shouldn't tell the story, David, but I remember one day I I was sitting in the governor's office, and, and Jamie was, you know, chief of staff, and he goes, I'm, I'm having a lousy day. And he goes, I think I'm going to go out and fire somebody just to cheer myself <laughs> up. And, like, this, I think the sad reality is he probably did. But, you know, one of the things that people loved about him is that he had an idea of how to make government work and, and to make it simple and how to make those processes, you know, move forward. And he had, you know, whether it was Diane Legridi or others, um, he was able to accomplish that. I, you know, I can think of Amy Mansuba. I can think of so many, so many people. But um, and he, he attracted a great cadre around him. So he did. He was he was an incredible manager. And, and and I'm speaking with, he with was former incredible. governor. <laughs> he really was. And and Diane too, by the way. Diane also was yeah. was a, a strong administrator, and, and she had a lot of empathy for for what people were facing there. 
Uh, and you know, it's, you know, when you talked, I was listening to your conversation earlier, but there are those people that, you know, that aren't elected, but that are in critical managerial decisions that make things happen that are so that are so essential to um, a governor's success or mayor's success is the ability to, 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 you know, to move the engines of government in a rational way to get things done. And it's 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 not easy, and, and you you know that. Yeah. Right? I mean, and and I'm speaking with Jim McGravy, former former governor of New Jersey. If, had, if I could just also harken back to our last conversation, yeah. I just wanted to just you know one of the other real challenges that that we faced, David, is in during the COVID was sadly a twenty percent increase in in opioid overdose deaths. And what we just ask anybody is if anybody knows somebody that's in crisis or needs treatment or needs detox, we'll get somebody into treatment within 24 hours. And and for so many families, working families who may not have any familiarity with addiction, uh, may not even know that their son or daughter is in the midst of, of addiction, I, I just want to let that people know that as a resource. I mean, the legislature, you know, gave us that challenge, which, you know, which we take seriously. But I mean, I, I, I've seen so many families and, and today with the, the, the threat of fentanyl and how destructive it is, it happens so much more quickly so that I just wanted to let people know they can and our, our phone numbers there that they can call us. And within 24 hours, we'll place somebody in, in addiction, in detox, in, in intensive outpatient or residential treatments. And, and we see that as a core function in our mission because there's such a correlation in New Jersey between those that are addicted and those that are incarcerated. There's a high conflation. And thank you for saying that because it's, it's such an important issue. So yeah. let me ask you, Governor, you've, you've, you've run statewide. How do you handicap the race between Phil Murphy and Jack Cittarelli? I, you know, I, I think it's going to be, um, you know, New Jersey is always New Jersey in the sense that, you know, you can never, there's, there's never a given. But I think um, Governor Murphy, I think Phil looks in a very strong position. I, you know, it, it's you're largely shaped by your times. And I think, you know, in terms of the, the COVID crisis, uh, in terms of relying upon the science, uh, in terms of moving us forward in a sort of in a steady, rational process, I think the governor's done a, a, a good job. I mean, obviously, there are those in the, in the business community which would have wanted it to happen faster, but I think the governor made his best gut decision premised upon the science, which in large measure has been, has been sound. And, and I think what Jack finds, uh, who, who happens to be a very decent human being, um, I, I, I think the, the Republican Party is, is, is disunited, is, is fractured, and so it's, it's hard to, to put it together. I mean, when, when you, you, know, you have to sort of sweep up your own party, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, you have to you know, make sure they're in the, in the column, and then you have to you know, go run and get the independent. And I, my sense is, from my friends in the in the Republican Party is that there's still um, there's still somewhat this discord and everybody's not on the same page and that obviously doesn't augur well because then Jack has to worry about his 
internal dynamic as opposed to going out into the vineyard and and trying to convince uh, independence. And so you were, I, I, I think it's 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 appreciably uphill. I mean, when I ran against Governor Whitman, for whom I like I had I great respect. I mean, Governor Whitman was, um, you know, sh- she was in many circles lionized, but I mean the the and. But the Democratic Party was hungry. I mean, it hadn't won since um, the governor of Florio's defeat. And so I think there was a there was a hunger there. There was a unity there. There was. A, oh, my gosh, we better get our acts <laughs> together. And so whether it was, you know, South Jersey, North Jersey, Central Jersey, we all sort of pulled together and all the, the traditional sort of Democratic power bases and constituencies. And I, I don't see that happening on the Republican side of the ledger yet, David. I, I, I just, yeah. Governor, you, I mean, you, you probably better than anybody else in New Jersey know what it's like to be Jack Chitterelli right now. I mean, you, you started that race against Governor Whitman. You were, uh, correct me if my memory's wrong, 16 points down. And you, and you came. <laughs> it was worse than that, David. And you, you I came, remember, oh my God, just, just as an anecdote, I remember, like, this was the day after I announced. And um, Governor Whitman was on the front page of the Star Ledger looking stunning in this magnificent gown. And my dear friend Chuck Hightayan was the speaker, was the chairman of the party. And she had just raised, like, some, like, phenomenal, uh, you know, some significant amount of money. It was, like, it was, I think it might have been over $2 million. And literally the, the night before, I was at the Island VFW raising like fourteen thousand dollars and uh, it was just like you're talking about michigash and i I just said to myself i I remember looking at the star ledger and and the governor she looked stunning and and had all the accoutrements of you know success and glitter and glamour and i was like oh like where am i going with this but you came within a point of winning you came within a point of winning and i i will not ask you about auto insurance in this interview how's that so (laughs) (laughs) well you sound like you know my different michael because on new jersey network he was like you know he said mcgreevy would talk about auto insurance and property taxes and educational reform if you asked him about world war ii or 1812 or whatever but it was it was the mantra and and you, you, you and you got like, you know, I remember when I was doing that insufferable, like, beach walk that Bill Bradley had the temerity to, to bequeath to me. But, you know, <laughs> sort of being Irish, I had sunscreen in my eyes. I was squinting. I was just like, what am I doing? But I just began to hear the rumblings of the pocketbook issues and how they were impacting working families, and whether it was property taxes. But auto insurance was something that that people like, obviously had relatives in, in Pennsylvania, New York. It was a huge issue 24 years ago. It was, it was an enormous issue. It was a huge issue. issue. And it was an issue, David, that, that you know, it's, it's always is, do people comprehend it? Can people untangle the merits of it and see that, you know, well, well why are we not, leading or moving towards a more rational place. And so um, it, it became a consequential issue in part because I think people could understand it and it didn't, and, and people could untease like, well, there wasn't the level of competition, et cetera, and for all those other reasons. And it just, 
you know, and for us, you know, there was a little bit of, of, of classism there, candidly. Um, it, it, you know, here I was, the, you know, trying to portray the sort of working class and, and Governor Whitman, obviously. And, and so th- that tension, it, it, it connected to a degree. Sure. And I, I'm, I'm speaking with former Governor McGreevy. Uh, Governor Jack Chidorelli's got to pick a running mate by August 6th. And, and, you know, obviously when I don't know if everybody knows that. But so when you ran 20 years ago there, that office, lieutenant governor didn't exist. So so we, we, only, we only have a short time left. But I you know, I love what if questions. So who would Jim McGreevy have picked for lieutenant governor in 2001 if if that was a if that was a thing? That that's a great question. It's a question I've actually never. Um, well, I you know I would have hoped to to have done the right thing. I would have hoped to pick a woman. I would have hoped to pick somebody from um, you know a, a community, whether it was uh, Latino or an African American. I mean, um, I, I I had good friends of mine, you know. But but it's it's just interesting because I I, I had. Stephanie, I had good friends of mine that were in the state legislature with whom that I worked. Um, I don't know whether or not they would have joined with me because it, it's, you know, the, the lieutenant governor's role. I don't know if in New Jersey is always be, it has become a stepping stone to being governor. I mean, it, it's somewhat unique as opposed to the vice presidency. So it's 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 as, almost as if you have to find someone who understands the importance of this trial for its own sake and not seeing it as as a step to um, to career advancement. So, I mean, who would I have checked? Um, I, I, I don't think I can give you an answer. In, 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 I, I, that's, that's fair. People take months to make this decision, so, so that, yeah, exactly. that's fair. I'm, I'm hoping, Governor, maybe you'll, you'll, you'll commit, think about it, and when you, when you figure out who your choice would have been, please tell me. Yeah, I, I, I'll do that. Uh, that'd be great. Governor McGreevy, always a pleasure to speak to you, and, and oh, thank you for joining thank me. You. And I just want to say thank you to you, and I also want to just say thank you for your sense of history and your sense of perspective. I, I just New, – New Jersey's politics is a river, and it's important to understand, you know, where we've come from to get a, a sense of where we're going. It's always a delight to, to read you, and, uh, you know, I, I, I appreciate your mind, so thank, thank. you. Thank you, Governor McGreevy. And this is David Wilds, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You're, we'll be right back with more on New Jersey politics, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I still love rock and roll. Old school, classic, punk, indie, 80s, 90s, whatever. If it's got passion and a backbeat, I want to hear it. And I want to know more about the artists who create it. That's why I read Rock and Roll Globe. Rockandrollglobe.com features the sharpest takes about what's good and what's um, not so good in music. They call it real writing about real music. It's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just crisp, surprising insight into music of all kinds, interviews with performers, concise reviews of hot new records, a look back at that great album that changed everything. It's all on rockandrollglobe.com. Check out Rock and Roll Globe. That's rockandrollglobe.com. I could hardly wait. Let's talk about America. 
Not taxes or tweets or the issues that divide us, but how incredible our country is. Left, right, up, down, state lines to winding coastlines. Whether you come home to a crowded city street, tree-lined suburb, or sleepy small town, everyone deserves to live in a clean, green, and thriving community. And we all share in the responsibility to create beauty that ripples from one neighborhood to another and one block to the next. We are Keep America Beautiful, the nonprofit working with millions of people just like you to end littering, improve recycling, and beautify our communities. Because every mindful action and sustainable habit has a positive impact, and it all adds up. Learn how you can join Keep America Beautiful at kab.org. Together, we can do beautiful things. Music Radio 77 WABC presents Saturday Nights with Tony Orlando. Every Saturday at 10 p.m. Hi, everybody. This is Tony Orlando. Three times on the ceiling if you want me. Big guests and great music from the 60s, 70s, and so much more. Saturday Nights were made for Music Radio 77 WABC and Tony Orlando. Every Saturday at 10 p.m., right after Cousin Brucie on Music Radio 77 WABC. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back. It's David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. And and, and before I move into the segment, Governor McGreevy at at the break uh, told me who he would have picked had he... Uh, had there been a lieutenant governor in 2001, it would have been Stephanie Bush, a, a former assemblywoman, former commissioner of community affairs from East Orange, now playing an active role in Atlantic City's uh, recovery. It would have, would have been a great choice. And and so get ready to rumble New York. New Jersey is playing to win the, in the fight over the MTA's proposal for congestion pricing in Manhattan. And and this week, U.S. Senator Bob Menendez, he became the, the latest in a series of high-level New Jersey political leaders who said they're, they're ready to fight back to protect Jersey, and, and they're prepared to retaliate if, if they have to. Listen to what Senator Menendez had to say about taking on New York over congestion pricing. And, you know, we, we, we got past the time. There was a time, I remember, that we were into retaliatory actions when New York tried to do these types of things. And we got into a better day in which we understood the synergies, the synergies of our economy. And we left those behind. I don't want to return to that. New Jersey's very capable of reciprocating uh, with actions. You know, we have more NASDAQ trades done in New Jersey than in New York. We have plenty of New Yorkers in reverse commutes to New Jersey doing work here. We don't want to get into that. We generate 20% of GDP for the entire nation from the region. Let's continue to work regionally together to achieve our mutual goals. But if necessary, we will stand up for New Jersey residents and do what is necessary, either through the governor and the legislature, or we will look at provisions um, in the uh, in the federal code to deal with it if we have to. I, I hope we, it doesn't come to that. 
So that was that was U.S. Senator Bob Menendez, and, and I'll tell you this: if I were in New York, I wouldn't want to get in the way of, of Bob Menendez on this issue. Uh, this is David Wildstein. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. So earlier, I spoke about Kim Guadagno, who was Chris Christie's lieutenant governor, leaving the Republican Party. Now, now this story, it's it's no joke. It's my favorite one about politicians who switch parties, and it, and I'll, I'll take you back to 1956. President Eisenhower was running for re-election, and even heavily Democratic Hudson County, they liked Ike. And the Republican president won Hudson with 62% of the vote. Now, Republicans don't win congressional seats in Hudson County very often. They, I think they won one in 1920 on Warren Harding's coattails, but, and that didn't last long. But, but with Eisenhower at the top of the ticket, a Republican named Vincent DeLay, he was he was an auditor for the state treasurer's office. He had run for Congress two years earlier. He took about 35% of the vote. He won a stunning victory. And, and get this, Vincent DeLay spent $0, and he beat an incumbent congressman by more than 25,000 votes, Republican in Hudson County. He beat a guy named James Tumulty, who came from one of New Jersey's, Jersey City's most prominent political families. His uncle was the chief of staff to Woodrow Wilson for eight years in the White House. And Tumulty went home to Jersey with a, a lot of post-election anger, and, and later he, he filed a complaint with the Justice Department. He alleged the Democrats had raised $100,000 for Adlai Stevenson and the, the, and the Democratic congressional candidates, uh, but that the mayor of Jersey City, John V. Tunney, had diverted the money to his local organization Tumulty said of the 100000 he only got $800. And, and that same year, there was, a, another, there was another Hudson County district. They had two di- congressmen, uh, a Republican lawyer named Norman Roth. He came within 57 votes of winning that election. And, and Roth died believing that Hudson County Democrats stole that election from him. And I'll, and I'll leave it to the imagine of every, imagination of everybody to, to think if they agree with him or not. But, but here we are with Hudson County Republicans, first win in what was 36 years, and immediately, get this, immediately they start fighting over the table scraps. Then delay had, uh, delay instead of hiring Republican uh, recommendations. He hired his daughter and his sister to serve on the staff. And the, the Hudson County Republican chairman at the time, he called him the biggest ingrate I'd ever known. And 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 because I, guess, I think only one Hudson County Republican got a job in the new congressman's office. So, so here we are, a week after DeLay takes office, the county chairman announces he's tossing this freshman congressman from the organization line when he runs for re-election. And, and Tumulty gets to Congress. There's no doubt he's a fluke. He's destined to be a one-termer, but he gets to Washington, and he decides he really likes it there. So he endorses the Democratic governor, Bob Miner, for, for re-election. And then a few days before Christmas, and after his first year in Congress, he, he switches parties. And the Speaker of the House, legendary Sam Rayburn, he, he welcomed the, the new member of the Democratic caucus, but... Back at home, Hudson County Democrats, they, they, were, they weren't at all interested in having Congressman DeLay. They, they endorsed a man named Dominic Daniels. He was a, a municipal court judge in Jersey City. And, and DeLay announced he'd seek re-election as an independent rather than, than run in a Democratic primary in Hudson County. By September, 
he he dropped out of the race entirely, and 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 Daniels won, and he stayed there for a long time. And and Delay returned to his old job as a field auditor in Trenton. He he retired in. 1971, but he remained a Democrat all those years, and he came back again. He ran ran for Congress in 1972 when when redistricting took those two Hudson County districts and merged them into one. And Dominic Daniels beat beat a guy I've, I've talked about before named, named Anthony Defino. He was the mayor of West New York. The the other congressman from that district was was Neil Gallagher, Cornelius Gallagher, you know, wonderful man who just passed away recently. He finished in third place, and DeLay came in fourth. He won just a little less than 2% of the vote. Uh, This is David Wildstein. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. So there was some news this week on congressional redistricting. Last week I talked about how how the commission that's going to draw new districts, they were deadlocked on a tiebreaker. Uh, When that happens, the the state constitution is is pretty clear. The Names of the two candidates, in this case, one Democrat and one Republican, they go to the New Jersey Supreme Court. They're, they're, they, the court, is supposed to break the tie for the tiebreaker. And you got to love Jersey, where even the Constitution is a little bit fungible. So this week, Chief Justice Stuart Rabner sought to avoid putting the Supreme Court in a position that they didn't want to be in, which is having to pick between a Democratic candidate and a Republican candidate to be the tiebreaker on new congressional districts. So so Rabner punted, or maybe he punted. Uh, he asked the commission for a do-over. Even, even though the deadline is passed, he's hoping that they can arrive on a consensus choice, spare the court from having to make the pick. But but there's another take, and, and I think I see what Rabner did here. The Democratic candidate for tiebreakers, a former New Jersey Supreme Court justice, a, a man of great integrity, John Wallace, but he has very close ties to South Jersey Democrats. So there's a question about how independent he might be. And Rabner knew the court might find it difficult to reject one of their own. So he probably didn't like being played. And and he doesn't want to get boxed in. At least I don't think he does. He doesn't want to get boxed in when he alone picks the next tiebreaker for the commission to draw a legislative district. So there's there's always pallets intrigue, and he's given them until July 30th. So thank you for listening. Thank you again, Governor James McGreevy. Uh, 